0: Welcome to the Learning and Development podcast. I'm David James, and each week I'm going to chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. This week, I'm delighted to welcome Nigel Payne, who you'll get to know a whole lot more over the course of this great conversation. Nigel, welcome to the Learning and Development podcast. Thank you so much, David. It's great to be here. You're a hard man to pin down to a brief role description, Nigel. Um, Your LinkedIn profile has you down as Learning Now TV presenter, as a podcast host, but you do quite a bit more than that. How would you describe yourself?
1: I do a lot more than that. It's very <laughs> it is hard to pin down. And I kind of pick the things that interest me in a particular month and I'll change it next month. But I, I actually teach. I teach on a doctoral program at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. And I work for the University of Chicago, Chicago Booth Business School, at the London campus. I write books. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about my latest book, but I've written most of my life, and I'm intensely writing now. So I write a good thousand, few thousand words most weeks Mm. now about the world as I see it and about things that people ask me to write about and about things that get me enraged or even interest me. But I also work with companies. I've just come out of a a huge project uh, working with the FMD on innovation and leadership development, Mm -hmm. working with 12 large companies right across Europe, unfortunately none in the UK, learning about how they're dealing with the challenges in leadership development at the moment. Mm. And the report is now out in draft, thank goodness. And eventually it will be published and there's a magazine journal feature coming out with it from EFMD. So that kind of stuff. I work with individual companies as well and I Mm. do work with executive teams. I do coaching, particularly increasingly for younger people coming through the industry or coming through an industry. Mm -hmm. Um, Even young entrepreneurs trying to help them Guide themselves and work out what they need to do to flourish in this kind of crazy environment we live in. But I do a lot of stuff; it's true, which is maybe a strength, maybe a huge weakness. I'm not <laughs> sure.
0: Well, I, I mean, I, I've known you, Nigel, from from your work at Learning Now TV, and we've known each other for a few years. But, uh, but before we knew each other, um, when I was at Disney, you were you were at the BBC. I was indeed. Yes,
1: I was five years at the BBC, running their learning and development operation, and that was me. A big slug of corpora. I really mm. learned a lot when I was in the BBC. But we also did a lot. I remember when I joined, one of my senior staff, Gareth Jones, Gareth said to me, Nigel, you've got a very big train set to play with. Mm. And he was right. So we did some ambitious things that I couldn't really have done anywhere else, where everything else was all kind of struggling to pull bits and pieces together. In the BBC, we could think big because there were big challenges yeah. and big things we had to do. And I completely completely transformed, for good or for ill, mm. I completely transformed the, the, the learning operation in the BBC. And I think I did some good work, but mm. you know, I had some great people actually doing the work. I was just remotely connected yeah. while people worked very, very hard. But we had a good sense of vision and direction at a time when the organisation was changing dramatically. Mm. So it taught me a lot about managing change and engaging people through change, yeah. all of that kind of stuff. And I think we could have
0: a conversation in itself about we the, could. the troubles yes, of uh, and the adventures yes. of uh, yes. Uh, yes. of of leading, uh, learning and development functions in large complex organisations. It's fascinating because mm. I've,
1: I've worked with Disney as well, not yeah. not in the UK, but I've worked with the Disney Learning Team mm. in the US. What an excellent organization! Yeah. They know what they're doing. Yeah, really professional and very, very nice people. Mm. So I, I know the kind of world that you were working in, and it's it's exciting, but it's very challenging. Yeah, Disney is very, very demanding of everybody who works for the
0: organization. Yeah, indeed. as you all know. Yeah, yeah, exciting and challenging yes. in uh, in in the same regard. But Nigel, I'd love to talk with you about your book. First of all, congratulations on your book. A thoroughly enjoyable read. Thank you. Um, not only did I th- first of all the book. Um, uh, is Workplace Learning, How to Build a Culture of Continuous Employee Development. It's both a fascinating read, bringing to life um, a lot of prior thinking, authors from across different decades. I'm not too ashamed to say that a lot of those authors and references you mentioned I'd never heard of back in the day when I was uh, earning my stripes and learning about mm-hmm. learning and development or training and development. Books were limited, in, that I could see, to uh, Addy. To, to assessing, designing, delivering um, uh, training programmes. Um, you mentioned you've written uh, plenty of books, Nigel. Um, uh, with this one, what, what were you hoping to achieve? I always write my books in a in a rage, in a way. Mm. And the, the
1: rage behind this book was that the term learning culture was being banded around by people who, I, modestly I'll say this, but who did not know what they were talking mm. about and had no sense of that history, where it all came from, from the 80s. And there was some very good work done in the 80s, but it didn't really lead to anything. Mm. So I thought it was really about time that someone went back to the 80s, tracked the journey, looked at what was happening today, and tried to help other organisations and other individuals get their head around the idea of a learning culture, and thereby having... Better tools and better ideas of how they might build one in their own organization. So that was the logic behind it. And I did it when uh, learning culture was kind of modest. It's now everywhere. Mm. You know, I, 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 Today, this morning, I read a post by Nick Shackleton jones where he's teaching other companies how you build a learning culture. So I'm, oh, I didn't even know Nick was bu- teaching people mm. how to build a learning culture. So it is everywhere. But I mm. want it to be the right kind of understanding of a learning culture so people do a good job. They yeah. don't do a kind of rubbish job. Mm. And we end up back where we were in the 80s, where it all dies a death mm-hmm. in three or four years' time. So the book has a, it's, a,
0: it's got a mission behind mm-hmm. it, in it, if you like. And in the introduction, you describe how many of the ideas in the book will seem beyond the hopes of L&D professionals yes. in organisations where the environment and culture are not conducive to a learning culture. I see this and hear this all the time. So what can we do about this if we see, uh, if this is our, context that that we we don't have an environment or stakeholders who are ready to engage in this conversation. It's true. And if you're in transactional L and D,
1: if you're an order taker, then to have the aspiration, oh, we're going to build a learning culture this year, no you won't. No. You just won't do it. It's it's more complex than that. But the, the key thing for me is the starting point is you've got to know yourself and know your organization. Mm. So you've got to look at the blockages. And what I'm trying to say in the book is if you just focus narrowly on learning and it's all about learning, 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 you miss the whole point. It's about culture with a big C as it is about learning culture. And therefore you have to understand the nature of the culture and you have to understand the blockages which stop you moving forward. Mm. And I've outlined some of the absolutely fundamental ones like trust. If you are operating in a very low trust organization, no one respects you, no one trusts you, no one trusts each other then you've got to fix that, or at least Mm. go some way to fixing that before you can begin to get at the kind of essence of a learning culture, which for me is not about individuals learning. That's okay. And that's obviously important, but it's about sharing. A learning culture is where people take information from outside and from inside, share it really, really quickly and turn it into action. Action is my, my, my closing point. You don't take action you haven't got a learning culture, you've just got a nice lot of things going on which may feel warm and fuzzy. I'm about action. And so many people who talk about learning culture forget that little bit. Mm. Oh, yes, action. Oh, sometime down the track. No, no, it should be at the beginning of your debate
0: and your discussion and your priority, really. Mm -hmm. Better action. So, Nigel, who then decides that they want to embark on this journey uh, of becoming a learning organisation? Is it the, I mean, I think it's a cop-out a lot of the time to say, well, it's got to start from the very top. It's got to be the CEO or the MD. But a lot of the time, a company culture is the embodiment of a strong character, which may be the, the figurehead there. Um, so where do you stand on this? You, and, and, and is not having the ultimate buy-in by the MD or the CEO an absolute killer here?
1: Eventually it will be, but not to begin with. You know, the idea that the CEO is all seeing, all doing, all knowing, Mm. and that you wait for the word to come from on high before you can take action is crazy. Mm. I think that you can start to build the conditions. You can start to share the evidence and you can convince people through the organization. And it may be a long time before it actually percolates upwards, Mm. if you can percolate upwards till it gets to that top bit. But That doesn't stop you doing stuff. And the key to me is not to say isn't it wonderful to have everyone learning? Who cares? Mm. No one cares. What you've got to say is, wouldn't it be better if we could take better decisions, move faster, have more ideas, be more innovative, have people cooperating and working together? Very few managers, unless they're kind of psycho, would say, why would we want that? Yes, Mm. they want it, but they don't understand the dream, if you like, is clear, but how you get to the dream is not clear. That's where... The role of L and D, the ability to frame it and to offer solutions and mm. processes is absolutely critical. That's that's what you've got to do. So no, don't just because you've got someone who is indifferent, I think you've got someone who's deliberately hostile and wants to, you know, screw everyone the entire time, probably find another organization. Yeah. But you've just got someone who's got lots of other issues and lots of other problems. You can make the case and you can build a very, very strong case. And if you couldn't you shouldn't be doing it yeah. if you if you can't see the benefits the business benefits to the organization you shouldn't
0: be doing it it's not about nice learning it's about hard edge business mm-hmm. benefits and going back to what you said before about uh, about action it's about doing enough of the right stuff and then for me it's about focusing and having conversations on outcomes not the activities too yes. much of the time we're talking about programs and content and when we're talking about programs and content, and we don't have engagement, then I've heard excuses such as, "Well, our people don't like to learn. Our people don't have time to learn." And then you've got all of the 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 caveats and the ways out of of, of a, um, a learning solution. The reasons why learning solutions fail, are such as, "Well, the manager didn't um, uh, didn't support the learning." the learning wasn't taken back to the workplace, and all of that stuff, for which I think, well, how fragile are your solutions, solutions in inverted commas, if they fail at the first hurdle? When I hear you talking about action and then you're talking about um, hard edge, we're talking about supporting people with the reasons they're at work and the reasons they want to be better and not just about the engagement in the learning and development offering. Absolutely. Right?
1: Yes, it, it, of course. And in some ways that that comes second. Mm. That, that when you see the benefits, the business benefits, you go backwards and say, "All oh, right, okay, there's it's worth engaging yeah. with these people." But up until that point, it's all about focusing on the change you need to see in the organization. Mm. We made this mistake. This didn't go well. We lost this customer base. We didn't understand this issue. We didn't understand why this product was failing. Right. Okay. If we understood these things better and we took faster action, would that be a business benefit to this mm. organisation? Yes, it would. All right, I can help you with that process of solving those problems. Not, I can
0: generate loads of learning yeah. in the organisation because fundamentally no one cares. Well, you're talking about solving business problems you rather are. than justifying yes. the investment in learning exactly. content and programmes, which exactly. are two very different things. Completely. And of course, if... Um, we see the posts every day on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And when you say, well, the, the prerequisite to having a successful learning and development function or a learning organization is senior level buy in. And I think that what, what, what we're discussing here is yeah, but that's not, that's not going to be just magic to you. You're not going to be provided with the, the currency, the credibility, the, the kudos to just be told, right? You've, Nigel, you've got my backing from day one. Let's let's invest more in your programs. It's about speaking the language of the business, doing something that actually matters, and then taking data and your metrics that matter to the business to say, "Hey, look, I've been doing this over here, and we seem to be benefiting as an organisation. I think that we could do more of this if we can. We have a conversation about what this would mean. Now, I'm not using business uh, learning jargon here. I'm not trying to convince the the CEO that that we need to invest in. Um, or build a a learning culture or learning organisation, speaking their language in order to to inch towards what we then, what we're talking about, as in a a learning culture. Yep, What you want is a CEO or an executive team to go, we like what's happening in this organisation.
1: How on earth did this come about? Mm. Why did we do that so much better? Tell me more. Yeah. So it comes from them because they want to understand the process. And you say, well, we can do more of this. Mm. You've got their interest and engagement, but you've got that through results, not through theoretical yeah. models. Or them with, you know, you can pick up my model of learning culture and say, look at this. Mm. (laughs) Isn't this what we want? Yes, it may be, that model may be very, very useful to an L&D team, Mm. but, you know, I would keep it quiet. You know, I would focus on some real issues in the organization, bad behavior, Mm -hmm. lack of transmission of ideas, people hiding blame or blaming other people, hiding mistakes, uh, lack of communication across departments, all the things that... Hamper organisation. That's the area to focus on. Mm-hmm. Everyone is willing to talk about those things. Don't just talk about learning culture models. No, no, no. there are three different models we could approach. Chief executive, <laughs> they don't care.
0: No, they don't care. Right. So let's let's take a step back then, because okay. what, what we are talking about are the the conversations that that we might be having. And of course, you know, you, you and I have sat in very senior roles in learning development, and I would, and I've argued for a long time that when you're exposed to board level conversations, you change the way you think about learning and development. It's much less about delivery and much more about outcomes. But I don't see a lot of LD departments with the remit, the currency, or the skills to change the culture. And yet so many say that they need to. How do we get past this initial hurdle? That's a very,
1: very good question. And I guess there are kind of three or four ways that they, they've got to. The first one is you've got to understand the nature of the organisation. So you've got, to, you've got to get out there and talk to people. You've got to understand the blockages. You've got to understand the frustrations of, their, of, of those people's lives, what drives them crazy, what makes them leave, what deeply, deeply inhibits their ability to do their best. And when you've got that, you've got a kind of blueprint emerging so that you can see what you need to fix. You can see if it's bullying or it's just siloed organisations, poor middle management, you know what you've got to fix and then you start to fix it. And you can do some of that, it can be done with learning, some of it can be done by just talking to the organisation and setting standards and maybe developing values that are appropriate or mostly enforcing values that already exist and which are ignored. So you start on that process of organisational development through people and eventually what pops out of the other end. If you keep going along that, that path, what pops out is a, is a more of a learning culture.
0: I need to address, Nigel, the elephant in the room. And you mentioned in the book that a course mentality works against the learning culture. Yes, Considering that courses are often the bedrock of L&D, yes. what's the shift you're suggesting? The, the shift is to see,
1: I'm not saying let's dump courses. I, I think they're good. It's the, the problem, is, or useful, the problem is when that is all you think you're doing. You're just running, and even worse, you're running a catalogue of courses which you present to an amazed and unsuspecting world, and they go, wow, what a fantastic catalogue. I think I'll pick that one, or I'll pick that one. You've got to get out of that mentality, mm. and you've got to start saying, unfortunately, and it's very hard. I had to do it. It's very hard. You've got to say, we'll scrap everything we do, and we'll start from zero, and we'll build back depending on need. Mm. What are the most acute needs in the organisation? And that can be very, very challenging because Mm. people have delivered courses that they personally have a stake in, that they've done for years. And to say to them, we're not going to do that Mm. because it's not key. It's good and it's interesting and people like it, but that's not why we're doing it. Mm. So you've got to take everyone with you and say, right, let's work our way backwards. Starting with what is the most acute need in the organization. And some things you can't get out of. You can't stop doing compliance, but you may want to do it in a different way. So courses are just a part of what you do. That creates up space to do other things. Mm. To have encounters, experiences, to have journeys, to give people information, to let them kind of develop their own courses. Yeah. You know that we live in a world surrounded by YouTube and TED talks and goodness knows what. I can't believe it's beyond the wit of any human being in a workplace to not build their own course around mm. their own needs. And the truth is that L&D maybe find it slightly unpalatable, but the vast majority of learning is solved by individuals or teams without any reference to L&D. They just get on and do it. And, you know, in the BBC, it was full of incredibly talented people who got on and did it. Mm -hmm. And we had very little intervention. Even though when I joined the BBC, I had 525 staff. I had a huge, huge staff, but we were hardly touching the surface in Mm. some areas. And yet you begin to think that you are indispensable. Mm. And that is a terrible thing to think. You are not indispensable. No. So get out from behind the, the course's barricade and work out what are the key needs and how you solve those needs. Mm. And, you know, the, the program I've been working with in, in Europe with some big companies, big companies are dropping all of their leadership development because it's just not fit for purpose. Yeah. That is very hard. For the the whole team that have been together for years often, the organizations that they've worked with for years and say, we're going to rethink this. And one organization has just replaced courses with experiences, Mm. just exposing people to a different world, taking them out of the corporate head office and seeing what's going on on the streets, seeing what startups are doing. Think about new markets, think about the ways they work, Mm. and then pull that back into the organisation. What did you learn? How do we spread that around? How do we build initiatives? That's not a course Mm. at all. And eventually that might complement courses. But if you don't lose that mentality that everything has to be a course. You know, I ran a residential centre in the Vale of Evesham and everybody thought Oh, that's two days and one night. Why? Because they had to fill up beds. Yeah. So everything, whatever you went in with, it was two days and one night. And they put a really good programme together, two days and one night, because we needed to, you know, how many bed nights I've forgotten now, but there's thousands <laughs> of bed, bed nights. The, so it wasn't about learning, it yeah. was about bed nights. So you've got to try and get out of that if yeah. you
0: possibly can. Well, so much is about duration, and there's, there's yes. a, another topic uh, right there. But what you're describing is is something incredibly bold. There is an admission from learning and development whose stock in trade, whose apprenticeship is um, conducted in the classroom a lot of the time. We pride ourselves on being deliverers of of learning. It used to be training, but, but now, now we deliver the internal process of learning. Um, and, and what you're what you're saying there is that this stock in trade, this this skill that we've honed after all these years, and what we've trained our stakeholders—not just as individuals, but as a profession—to to take as our as our offering—is to be sidelined a little. Yeah, as, as you say, I mean, I, I'm careful with my languages as well because it's not about putting putting the course to bed. But it is about recognizing that that if we know what people really do need help with in our organizations whether they're crying for help or not then we can we can guide and support them as and when they require which can help them with their performance and results and the organization with its capability but I don't I was about to say that I don't think we really believe that we've ever been doing that with courses but I don't think that as a profession we're as mature. Now there are some strong voices that we read and we, people that we know who have been calling this out for a long time. But as a profession, are we ready? Are we aware that our stock in trade, the course, or and e-learning, when, when we're blending, is another conversation we can have, Um isn't really doing the job that that we are in organisations to do. Yep, I think that's right.
1: There's a much bigger job and it's a recognition as well that people learn in all sorts of different ways and that sometimes performance support, what people want is a checklist mm. or an answer. They don't want a course and it's also to recognise that Huge amounts of learning takes place by just being in a in an organization and talking to someone and saying, "Hey, David, you know, I can't do that." David, what did you do last week? And to, if you can facilitate that and open up some of the blockages, and there are in many organizations, don't talk to him. Get on and do yeah. your job. If you can just open that up, create the free flow of knowledge and support, you are doing a huge amount to create a, a bit better learning, more more comprehensive learning. Because after all. Even if you have a plethora of courses and the biggest catalogue in the world, you're only giving people relatively few hours in their working year. Mm. And what we're talking about is a few hours in their working day. Yeah. It's, it's moving learning and work n- not only a bit closer, but so they're almost indissoluble. Mm. So that learning is work and work is learning. That is the future because we need to learn so much more. Yeah. And, and we need to believe in ourselves as learners. And that, that one aspect of a learning culture, those organisations that have succeeded, every single person in that organisation is not afraid. Mm. They know they can learn and relearn. And one of the problems with resistance to change is people, it's fear that I can do this, I don't know whether I can do anything new. If you're in a learning culture, you have no problems with that at all because you're used to taking on new challenges. You're used to working with, you know, young David over there for a half a day to get myself to a different skill base or to help me on a, on a different pathway. That's just second nature to you. That's when I think learning becomes really exciting, in, integrated and ingrained in business and not something separate out there where you go down the road or sit sit in your lunchtime you know, on a... Computer screen, tapping through whatever it might be—it's got to be integrated. Mm.
0: That's the key. Now, there is the risk that we're sounding like um, that we're so far detached from the realities of people in <laughs> learning and development, and maybe we're a little bit bonkers. Um, well, I've but- been told. I've <laughs> been told that. <laughs> but I think it's really important to to recognise that you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah. Start again. Tell your uh, stakeholders that there's no more training from now on, and that we're going to do things a different way. But bear with us because. Uh, we've got nothing at the moment we'll build it around you it's it's it doesn't have to be um all or nothing that that traditional is dead and uh and digital's taking over and and all of that stuff it it can it can be iterative it should be iterative it should be based on what works rather than necessarily yeah. what can be done what you want is your dream of what you want to achieve you you've got
1: to have that vision mm. you've got to have that not idea in your head about the kind of organization you're trying to build mm. And then you work out what are the first things you can do while leaving most everything else in place, and then the second things, and then the third things. And how do you judge what's most important? The things that will make the biggest difference with the least effort on your part. Yeah. And just keeping your staff with you. Because the last thing you want to do is be the, the head of a learning and development where everybody hates you in a learning and development. You know, the rest of the organization might think you're all right, but your own team mm. di- disown you because they think you're trying to take away their jobs. Yeah. So it's it's step by step, I think. Step by step. And just like in a learning culture, take people out Take them out of their little bubble in L&D and see what's going on in the organisation. Mm. Take them out of the organisation and see what other organisations are doing mm. at the same time. Give them a sense of uh, uh, optimism and a belief that things can change. Because part of the problem is people believe there's no other way of doing it. Yeah. We, uh, and if we did do it, it'd be too hard and we'd make, make a mess of it and we'd all get fired. Yeah. That's not true. No. But you need to know what you're doing.
0: Well, the good thing about... Uh your book is the the richness of the case studies. Um and there's one in particular with Naomi Lockwood where um which really brought this to life to me. Um she talks about partnering with employees to help them achieve what they're there to do, ultimately affecting performance and outcomes. Now this is a far cry from traditional model of of creating learning facilities, whether that be programs and systems, that seem to run parallel to the business. Is this right? Yes. Naomi is a classic example of an Ellen and d leader who came in
1: and saw everything that she didn't want to happen in the learning operation, very strong, course-focused, catalogue-focused. And what she did was, the first thing she did was talk to staff and find out what they really wanted and what needs they had that weren't being met. And then she worked back from there and tried to take her team with her. So she did everything that I think... Everyone else should do so. If you read Miss case study, it can be done. And she's in a very traditional, very straight-laced organization. It wasn't a kind of wacky, you know, startup or anything like that. It was, you know, Cambridge Education. Mm. They've been around hundreds of years and are not renowned for, you know, going around doing crazy things. They're very solid. They they need to do things in a very systematic Mm. way. But she managed to convince the entire operation that they had to
0: shift, and she did a remarkable job in the time that she was there. Mm. You mentioned there that uh, that she brought her team with her. Now, I have a lot of conversations with learning and development leaders. I have conversations with um, HR directors who say that they are looking to recruit learning and development people, but they don't seem to have the skills required today. Now, the Towards Maturity Benchmark reports back this up. There's a there's a spidergram in the in the reports that have been for the last five six years that I've seen. And what they generally say is learning and development are strong in the traditional areas of uh, training delivery, of teaching and assessment, of um, learning administration, and then on coaching and project management, and pretty much weak in every other area. Now, the weakest areas in this year's benchmark report seemed to be data analytics, supporting performance, and digital content development. That sounds like there is a gap between a, a quite a big gap between what the a profession needs right now and what's being recruited, and the the skills the the traditional skills that are relied upon. Now, that that says to me that that's a gap that needs to be bridged. How, in your opinion, how do we go about doing that? I, well, I think first of all that the idea that you have to do
1: things to people or they have to wait until someone does something to them is got to be blown blown up part that every single personality has a responsibility to stay in touch with what's going on. Mm. And everyone has got access to the tools that will help them move forward in all of those areas you've mentioned. So I don't want any of the kind of, oh, it's not fair. Uh, you have a you have a role in building yourself and not being the you know, the cobbler's child. Mm. You start your own learning journey. You talk to people who are in those areas. And things like digital content development, sometimes what you need to do is have the right skills to be able to buy in someone else's digital content skills and not think that everybody has to be able to do everything. You know, there's plenty of small players out there, lots of gig workers, people who will come in and work with you on a project and do stuff for you and then go away again. And they're very happy doing that and they can be incredibly useful. You don't have to buy in a huge, great expensive digital content factory in order to be able to deliver a successful do, uh, digital content. You've got mm. to think what you need and and build it slowly. You need a learning ecosystem, not an LMS, for example. Yeah. You know, If an LMS costs a fortune, just get that ecosystem right and then work out how you pull in existing digital content. For mm. example, there's a massive amount of open source material out there. Just go to iTunes U, iTunes University and see what there is. Pull in your TED Talks and and other available resources and curate them. Don't create them. Mm. And recognize that for many, many people, they'd rather have something that's slightly rough around the edges and available today than a perfectly crafted piece of digital content in six months' time. Because it's needed today. And I think we're moving away now. There are some things where you do need that high touch and, and high craft. But we're moving away from that to a world where read that, think about that, write that, get in touch with those people, sit around a table and work it out yourselves. Yeah. There's a lot of learning that can take place that doesn't require big budgets and, uh, and, and high skills, but you've got to know how to do that too. Mm. And you can find out. So I, I think every learning professional should be on their own learning journey at the moment to see where it's moving and to make sure they don't get left behind. Mm. And that's very, very important.
0: I think- one of the things, building on what you've you mentioned there, um, there is there are no silver bullets no. in learning and development, no. and I think that that that's a misconception as well.
1: And uh, neither is learning culture or no. learning organisation a silver bullet. It's really not. It's no. not
0: a kind of quick fix. That's, it's a work in progress. It's isn't a work in it? It? it pops yeah. out at the end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you strike me as uh, someone, Nigel, who is always challenging yourself. Yeah. I mean, you're active on social media. Yeah. Uh, you run your podcast. You're the presenter on on Learning Now TV, uh, as well as what other people would recognise as a, a day job. Um, if you had, I mean, and so I'm recognising that as um, as a way um, in learning and development by just trying stuff. We broaden our skills by not perhaps seeing ourselves or pigeonholing ourselves in a traditional sense. Is that was that a conscious effort for you? And, I mean, and, and what's that delivered for you? Um, I'm I'm. I think I'm insatiably curious, and I, and I
1: recognise now that I was as a child, and I I used to quite literally get beaten by my father because I would take things apart, mm. and he would go absolutely crazy. He never said, "Oh, how lovely that you're investigating this machine." It was always, "You've broken it, and it's new," or "You've broken it," and I and I, I did have a habit of taking things apart and getting them back together again, apart from this one little bit which I just couldn't work out where it went. But I I, I ha- and that's kind of what I'm doing now. I'm take I'm still doing that. Uh, even now, I take things apart. I love taking organisations apart, taking technology apart, and understanding how it can be re reassembled. What has it done for me? Um, I-, I think primarily it keeps me interested. I never get bored, mm. and I don't like doing the same kind of stuff. I'm not, and I'm not very good at sit you down and do that again and again and again. That, and if someone wants me to do that, I'm not the right person. Mm. But I am the person. Who can share ideas, bring in ideas, bring in new, new innovation from somewhere else and try to share it across the the organization or with the the people that I'm working with. So I think it makes me it maybe make me makes me shallow, but it makes me interesting. Mm. And I don't know whether those two things are good or bad. You know, I maybe should have specialized in my life and become a world expert in one thing, but I do know a lot about a lot of things Mm. and I do feel but I've got my finger on the pulse of what's going on in L&D. And if I didn't, I probably would leave. Mm. Because if I haven't, then I, I would feel very, find it very difficult to work with anyone not knowing what the earth is going on or where it's all going. Mm. So there's that advantage. But uh, but I, I, I do think, and what gets me up in the morning, I do think what's going on now is so interesting. Yeah. You know, I think there's a real chance to make learning the heart of modern organisations, mm. because they can't survive without u- upping the velocity uh, and, and the, the means, the way of learning. And mm. to me, that's very exciting. Like my whole life, I've waited to be someone to say, you know, you were right 30 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and uh, being ignored, <laughs> abused, <laughs> pushed to one side. Suddenly, we're right in the heart of it. And this is a unique opportunity. Yeah. And we, if we blow that, we're in, you know, I think well, that's crazy. To to do that, so this is a great time. I don't want. I don't want to stop working. I want mm. to see this thing moving forward because it is. It is like a juggernaut on the move now, mm. and I, that's very very exciting.
0: I, I feel that too. I do feel as if learning and development is at a tipping point, uh, one in which um, we will truly have technology support us and um, yeah. to do some of the heavy lifting for us. Um, but there's the other side of that. When I read. Um, People like Guy Wallace on LinkedIn who talks about he's been doing this stuff since the late 1970s, early 1980s. So that's when I when I kind of think, is uh, are we too ingrained to make the change? But then I also look and think, well, we we won't hold on to data for forever inside learning and development. The our business leaders are going to take a keen interest on how the um how people are employed in order to affect business goals. So, so, so I'm kind of tempering my 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 optimism whilst also recognising that that this might actually be taken out of our hands. Now, to lead that into a question: in your book, you mentioned that technology is an essential component of a learning culture. You've already touched on this a little with by saying that that um, one single technology system, such as the LMS, perhaps isn't isn't going to be fit for purpose. We might need to look at the ecosystem. Um, what In what other ways do you see technology being used differently from the the traditional approach of perhaps, say, an LMS field with e-learning? <laughs> Goodness me, if, if that's the vision, <laughs> let's all go now. <laughs>
1: lock the door, cl- turn off the lights but and lock common, the door. But it's common, isn't it? I mean, it a lot is of people say, you no, know, we've outsourced um, yes. online
0: learning to yes. a vendor.
1: Yes, that's absolutely true. Uh, the, the way that I think technology is important is it does a number of things brilliantly. One is it brings people together so mm-hmm. that it, it, it is a way of having very useful synchronous and asynchronous discussions in, in uh, and some of those things in real time and problem solving in real time. And you've got to make use of that communication mm-hmm. setup. The second thing is that, that if you are sharing, you need to store something. You need to have a place to store, mm-hmm. you have a place where people can go to, and look in the drawer, look in the cupboard, and not have to reinvent the wheel constantly. And the best way to do that is in technology. And thirdly, it allows you to move, move, move much Mm. faster. So it allows you to build stuff, distribute it, get things moving in an organisation, regardless of where they happen to be. And I don't even think that this is inapplicable in an organisation where everyone is in the same building. I still think that you have to have a really rich technology environment so that When you're ready, when you need, it's all there for Mm. you. And not say, you've got to be here at 12 o'clock. Oh, you've missed your chance. It was at 11.15. All of that stuff. So, uh, and just understand the way technology is changing the world. You know, it's beyond, really beyond my comprehension. The organisations watch everyone walking down the street with their mobile phones, sitting on the tube with their mobile phones, and they come into the organisation, they're told to put them away and you can't have Facebook. Uh, Here's your company phone that's crippled and you can't go on the internet. And they think that's a good idea. Mm. You know, basically, we've got to catch up with the way people experience the world. Outside the organisation yeah. and bring it in, and learning is a good way of doing that because people are sharing and learning and doing all sorts of things online, which they weren't able to do in before they had mm. before that essentially before they had smartphones. Two thousand and seven was the iPhone. Yeah, it's not long ago, really. You know, I rem, I, I remember it. You remember mm. it, and it's going to go much much further. So we've yeah. got, to, in some ways, we're aligning the outside with the inside, mm.
0: and then going back outside. And seeing how that that, that influences things. Mm. Certainly um, I completely agree with you. And to to build on that, um, with regard to learning and development, what I see as one of the biggest blockers for us as a profession is that we don't think big enough as far as technology is concerned. We look at the the systems and content that we have in-house and we think of ways that we might package that up or get that out to people rather than thinking about the ideal situation that we would create for people experiencing friction, challenges and unfamiliar situations in the organisation that aren't able to to perform and deliver the required results that they are trying to gain, and then think, "How, how best can we support them? How best can we make sure that our intervention works? And how do we scale that for the benefit of everybody else? I think that we limit ourselves with what we have, rather than just completely thinking, what do our people really need in yeah. service of what they're here to do?
1: And what are our people doing that we could learn from, amplify mm. around the whole organization? What little group over there are doing brilliant stuff on all we need to do is amplify that yeah. and we've got an amazing result. Yes, quite a bit of humility, mm-hmm. a bit of a bit more listening. A bit of understanding the way people solve problems because we are problem-solving beasts, yeah. and work is a one long problem-solving activity. You just go, <laughs> how do I do that? How do I get round this? How do I f- how do I fiddle this? You now, how do I get that person to agree? And some of those insights are rich mm. and could be
0: pushed across the organisation, and some of them <laughs> aren't. But you've got to focus on the ones that work. Yeah. Well, Nigel, I think problem-solving beasts might be a great title for this podcast, um, but it is. I think uh, a very good time to uh, to wrap that up. Uh, Nigel, thank you very much for your time. If people want to to find you, it seems as if you're in many places, um, how best should people reach out or find what you're involved in? I'm uh, um, Luckily enough, I spent my life hating my name
1: because it was so slightly unusual and I wanted to be Peter Smith and, and not be standout, but actually I, my name stands out so just Google Nigel Payne, uh, nigelpayne.com, you can get into everything there. The book is available from Kogan Page if you're interested. It's called Workplace Learning: How to Build a Culture of Continuous Employee Development. And I'd love you to get a discount on the book. And if you put in the code Friends of Nigel, that's all one word, it's corny, but it works. You put that in, you'll you'll get a, a discount and free postage and packing. Your interest in the book. So please get in touch. I'm very, I literally,
0: am very easy to find, and I'm very happy to talk to you. Great. Thanks, Nigel. I would wholeheartedly recommend the book. Uh, it's written by somebody who knows how learning and development works in organisations, the complexities. It's not an oversimplification. There are no silver bullets. They, you feel the bumps in the road in the uh, in the case studies. Uh, so I'd so, say is it's do yourself a favour and invest. But uh, all's left for me to say, Nigel, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. And we'll look forward to speaking to you again soon. It's a huge pleasure, David. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Selfishly, I know I did. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can tweet me at DavidInLearning, connect with me on LinkedIn or on Facebook, for which you'll find the links in the show notes. Goodbye for now.